This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith. I will be your host, and this is episode 199, Second Cross-Examination Reactions in the Recent Old Testament Debate. If you haven't heard, I have recently participated in an online debate with Kelly Powers on the subject of whether the Old Testament teaches Unitarianism, the doctrine that says that God is a single person, namely the Father alone. So we're going to be listening to the cross-examination segment during this particular episode. Specifically, we'll be listening to the second part of the cross-examination. Within the debate, there were two cross-examinations, starting with me asking Mr. Powers questions for 10 minutes, and then he would be able to ask me questions for 10 minutes, and then we'd get to do it all over again, the second round, where I ask questions for 10 minutes to Mr. Powers, and then Mr. Powers asked me questions for 10 minutes. So in this episode, we will begin by listening to the second cross-examination questions, and I'm going to come back and discuss the questions that I gave, talk about the answers that I received from Mr. Powers, and based on those answers, I will assess the strength of his position. Of course, Mr. Powers was arguing in the debate that the God revealed in the Old Testament is actually more than one person, thereby God would not be Unitarian in nature. I also want to give a little plug for the next episode, episode 200, which is going to come out next week. And in that episode, we will be listening to the closing statements of the debate, and I'm going to have a special guest joining me, offering his own reactions to the debate as a whole. So please look forward to our monumental 200th episode, where I will have my very first guest ever on the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Of course, if you would like to watch the debate in its entirety, the link to the video will be attached in the notes for this particular episode. So without further ado, let's cut and listen to the second cross-examination section of our debate entitled, Does the Old Testament Teach Unitarianism? All right, let's look at the most uh, cited passage from the Old Testament that's used in the New Testament. That is Psalm 110, verse 1. Psalm 110, verse 1 says that Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my, singular pronoun, right hand, until I, singular pronoun, make your enemies a footstool at your feet. So Yahweh says to my Lord. So we got, we got two lords there, but one of them is Yahweh. Um, and we have the second person that's an exalted Lord that is commanded by Yahweh to sit at Yahweh's right hand. Um, who do you think that Yahweh is there? Is that is that a reference to the triune God or is that a reference uh, to the Father? Well, as I mentioned before, whenever you see the word Yahweh or Lord in all caps, that's not a an all-encompassing word of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Again, it's a title, it's a name, it's being identified. 
So Psalm 110, as you would know, which we'd probably have some agreement here, is a reference to Jesus being the Messiah, which we see in the book of Hebrews 7, 8, 9, and 10, being a fulfillment as he was the one who to come. And now he has been uh, given that authority, the priesthood authority, the Melchizedek, right? And so um, I would see two here. In fact, that's why I, I still lean towards what I call the triunity. If you keep reading down to verse 4 and 5, notice what it also says in verse 4 and 5. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at thy right hand. He will shatter kings in the way of his wrath. Well, who's the Lord that's at his right hand there? Who's the one that's shattering? You cannot ask me questions people? during my question time. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so used to normal conversation. Sorry. Okay. My okay. Bad. Okay. All right. Um, you can ask just, me a question later. I'll give you permission. There you go. I, I will respect you for your time when you are asking questions. Okay. I'm so so, so uh, that, was a, that was a long answer to say that Yahweh is at least here referenced to the Father. So that second yep. Lord in I Hebrew is... The distinctions just to answer that real quickly i have no problem with that that doesn't take away from what i believe at all yeah okay but the second lord there is the uh the hebrew noun adoni it's used 195 Correct. times in the old testament and i've looked up every single occurrence and in not a single one of those instances does it refer to god it refers to an exalted human being or perhaps a messenger so okay what is it saying that if Adoni and all of its 195 occurrences never refers to God, doesn't this indicate that the person who is at Yahweh's right hand is not God? No. When we see other scriptures together in regards to who Jesus is, when you're reading... Yeah, but we're, we're talking book. specifically about Psalm 110, verse 1. Let's, let's fo yeah. fo can yeah. you focus with me on just this passage? Oh, I, I, again, have no problem, but this, this is not the whole Bible, as you would know. Okay. Deuteronomy so, 6, 4, not the whole Bible. So this is a collective. So just because I can't give you a definitive answer to prove the Trinity from Psalm 110, which I would not use in the first place, that doesn't debunk my perspective as a Trinitarian. As a whole, I get this and I affirm it that this is talking about the coming Messiah. That doesn't take away from what right. I believe, though. Okay, so, so just, just to be clear, and I just please, just, just a yes or no on this, um, that... That second reference is a word that never once in any of its occurrences refers to someone who is God. At least in Psalm 101, you were okay with that statement? It doesn't that bother passage. me if that's true. Now, I don't know that for a fact, but if that's what you say and it's actually true, that I, I still have no problem with that. Okay. All right. I don't um, know everything about the Bible. So if that is true, okay. that still doesn't take away from what I've already shared previously. Okay. It is interesting, though, that uh, since it is true, that is the most commonly cited passage um, from the Old Testament and the New Testament to, dis to determine the distinction between God and Jesus. Let me move on to my next question. Um, I'm, trying to I'm trying to find a word in the Old Testament that refers to the triune God. Okay, so Yahweh doesn't refer to the triune God. Um, what about El, the noun El? Does El refer to the triune God? You should know the answer. I've already given you the answer already. I wouldn't say any particular word would point necessarily to the Trinity as a whole. As we read throughout the whole Old Testament, I mean, again, this is something both, both me, and I, me and you should have agreement and anyone else who reads the Bible. Throughout the different prophets and the different people who are revealing things as God gives them, over a time span of 1,500 years, different prophets and different peasants and different fishermen, other people here and there, they're given different information. So as we learn how God has been identified throughout different prophets, it's building 
And so if you were just to take certain parts and only read there, then what we both agree on is eisegetical information. So we have to be careful of that. I don't think you're necessarily doing that on purpose, but that's if I was doing that same thing, I would accuse myself of that. Well, I'm asking for definitions of words because we can't get anywhere in a conversation if we don't agree on what words mean. And so that's what I'm trying to figure out because different Trinitarians will have different answers on this. There's not even agreement among the Trinitarian camp. Okay. That so, I agree with you, Justin. That okay, we agree that's not, on. Not, that's not a question. People share different things. I get that. Okay. Um, I respect. What that. about Adonai? What about Adonai? Is Adonai a reference to the Triune God, or is that just again okay. everything on what you'd be saying? I'd want to look at the context. Does the context sure. okay. certain passages talk about different <clears throat> people being revealed? Is it certain things? Does it, is it does it flow together? All this information. And just let me say one more quick thing. I'll be quick because I know it's your time and I want to respect that. But if I'm reading it a certain way and not allowing the totality of Scripture to be in together, then I will be doing ill justice to the Scriptures. Same thing with the New Testament. If I don't read the New Testament in light of the Old Testament, we'd be reading the Book of Mormon together, right? They have to go hand in hand together. They're a unity. 66 books, one Bible. Right there, debate over. Okay. Um so in a passage like 2 Samuel 7.22, uh, and I'll cite it for you, where it says, You are great, Adonai Yahweh, you being the singular pronoun. You are great, Adonai Yahweh, for there is none like you. Second Samuel, so if Adonai, 7.22, 2 Samuel 7.22, okay? Uh, you are great, Adonai Yahweh, for there is none like you. If Adonai does not refer to the triune God, okay? Then to whom does Adonai refer, and why is it that there is no one else like him? Mm -hmm. If supposedly well, see, here's... there are, go ahead. I was gonna say if, if supposedly there are three co-equal, co-eternal, co-essential persons in in the uh, in the Godhead of the Israelite God. Well, see now I don't think you meant to do that, but I, if I ever said that, I still haven't said that. See, if you're reading the Old Testament, nowhere do we get the, 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 the defined terminology, Trinity. We don't get the triunity words there. We don't see these things like we would in the New Testament or from what early Christians would have taught, right? So when we're looking at Old Testament scriptures, there is one God in regards to it, as you talked about, as a whole. But has that one God been revealed as a unity? And that's what I've been talking about from yeah. the very start. You cannot ask me questions during my time. No, no, I, but, I'm, but I'm answering you. I'm, I'm, I'm talking both ways. I'm not really, I'm answering you through my, my own conversation here, right? So what I'm saying is, is that, yeah, Yahweh is being here. There's none like Yahweh. That's true. However, Scripture has affirmed, as already before, there are more references in the old testament that talk about two being referenced at the same exact time as being called yahweh and so i have to take those scriptures together i can't just isolate them okay but so so yahweh in this passage to whom does that refer doesn't say okay well, what do you think i don't know you don't know okay yeah. i am being um, honest with you i'm transparent man that's that's okay. That's um, that's it's different. I know. So I'm let's, sorry. Let's, let's 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 move let's move to some Aramaic sources. So in Daniel chapter seven, certainly a, a major passage uh, for New Testament theology, um, 
we have this one who is described as the ancient of days, and we have another that is described as the son of man. I have one minute here. Okay. Um, so just real quickly here, do you think the reference to the son of man was understood by Jesus to be a reference to himself? Uh, and if so, um, why is he distinguished from the ancient of days, which actually has a singular Aramaic adjective, atik, referring to the ancient one of days? Mm -hmm. Well, I would affirm that when you read the Gospel of John, you read the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus repeatedly calls himself the Son of Man. I believe he was taking this as an affirmation that he was this coming one. In fact, if I remember correctly, there are Jewish sources that talk about the Son of Man being a reference to the coming Messiah. Jesus made a reference in Matthew 12, 8, actually pointing to the people who were opposed him, says, because they were saying, how dare you do this on the Sabbath? And Jesus says, I have done this that you may know that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, right? Well, who's the one that gave the Sabbath? God did, right? So he was affirming his deity. The Ancient of Days, yeah. I believe both are actually being referenced here, both the Father and the Son. This would actually go with what we read in the book of Revelation. All right. That is time's expired for Dr. Dustin. All right, Kelly, you're up for your final 10-minute cross-examination, uh, Dr. Dustin Smith. So let me start off quickly here and again enjoying our conversation, Dustin. I do mean that completely without any, um, any fakeness at all. You know, some people like to use the royal we argument. Um, and I know you kind of alluded to it before, and again, no disrespect to you, but that didn't come into existence as we know it to roughly 1200 AD. You can Google it. I don't there. know that. I've done it many times. It hasn't changed. It's still there. So when you read, um, for example, uh, Genesis 1.26, let's go back to what you opened up with talking to me. Genesis 1.26, both the singular and the plural. I'm just getting there in my Bible here. I apologize. I'm old school here. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and let's read it together. And God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish, etc., etc., right? Notice he says man, and then he calls them then. So again, singular and plural in that same verse. God said, let us make man in our image. And then it says in verse 27, God created man in his own image. So at least just reading the text, I'm not saying this verse says Trinity. I'm not saying that. This debate today is not on does the Old Testament teach the Trinity. This debate today is does the Old Testament teach Unitarianism, meaning God is one personage. Can you at least acknowledge with me when you read this for what it says, does it at least not give the indication that both God has been revealed in the singular and some kind of unity in its context? No, I can't do that because... All of the Hebrew grammars discuss the plural of majesty as an understood and recognized part of the Hebrew language. It's part of Hebrew grammar. When, when were those things that. written? When, when were those things written about the royal majesty? Well, they're modern when Hebrew grammars, but that's what that's what uh, how scholars. Many, how many years ago did they start writing? That? When did they start? Uh, writing well, that? when I could. Well, I can point out. Um, other references to the royal we being used um, prior to the first century. You you have an so, example of that? Yeah, let's let's um, 
Because okay. Google must be wrong because everything that I read online, the royal we didn't come into existence until roughly 1200 AD. Well, I, if, if Google is your uh, source, uh, we are in a lot of trouble. I use uh, Google basically saying that any reference you go look up online, it talks about historically that it didn't come into existence until roughly 1169 AD. Okay. Um, in, in the Greek version of the Old Testament. They're called First Maccabees, okay? And I'm just answering you. You can cut me off whenever you, you want to. But um, So in First Maccabees chapter 10, starting in verse 18, King Alexander wrote a letter to his brother Jonathan saying, we have heard about you. Notice the king there speaks with the royal sure. we. He goes on, sure. and so we have appointed you today, okay? Sure. A little later in First Maccabees, in chapter 1132, King Demetrius wrote a letter to his father saying, we have determined to do good in the nation of the Jews. So there we have right. places where it's actually being used in the Greek language by Jewish writers. And that's prior to 1200. Would you say that the we, though, is have reference to more than one person saying that there? No, no, it's the plural of majesty. How do you know that? Which is How do you know that? Because there's only one person that's writing it and he's using the royal we. Okay, well, I would disagree with you there. The word we can be used in, in the Bible as well. I mean, context is always what defines everything. I mean, and, and John, I'm just, I have to go to John just for, to make a point of what I'm saying. John 14, 23 says, we will come to him. We will make our abode with him. So we can be used in the plural and the singular then upon its proper context. My whole point is, is the royal majesty that people try to claim didn't come into existence later. But let's let the text speak for itself. Dustin, I think you would agree with me more than letting all these other things and Google and whatever else. Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man. Who do you believe the us is there? I think it's God speaking um, as, as an intensive, uh, an honorific plural, uh, to where he is by himself, one person, uh, speaking with the royal we. And again, that so is then, something that's acknowledged that's by all Hebrew grammars. Yeah. If that's true, and Moses be inspired by God to write this book that we understand, then why wouldn't we just have the same language as verse 27? God created man in his own image. Why would we have two different way of wordings that would be confusing? Why didn't we just go with what was said in the second time and eliminate the first time? Uh, you're basically asking me a question as to why God wrote the scripture the way that he did it, and I obviously can't answer why God did it the way that okay. he did it. What I can't uh, so from, uh, from point a Trinitarian out point is that you, you at least would acknowledge where I'm coming from or any other Trinitarian that would read that, that at least that's from what it gives the appearance that God is speaking in the plural more than himself in singular, but speaking in the plural, and you would agree that he's not talking to angels, right? I, I don't think he's talking to angels. We're on the same page with there. But I, it can't refer to the Trinity because the Trinity was developed in the fourth and fifth century. It's anachronistic yeah, to read it back that. that's, into that's, the that, Old that's Testament. That's your assumption. But okay, that's your assumption. Well, okay. I, I, I okay. read some sources that pointed that out, but sorry, Justin Martyr and Ignatius and a lot of other people were teaching the deity of Christ before all those things later, so that's easily disproved. Uh, Genesis nineteen twenty four. Genesis nineteen twenty four. For my sake of time, earlier I alluded to Amos four eleven. Jeremiah 50, 40, um, Isaiah 13, 19. Let's just read Genesis 19 for a second here. It says, The Lord Yahweh, which is Yahweh, Yahweh reigned on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire 
from himself out of heaven. No, it says from the Lord out of heaven. So let me ask you, why would it word it that way if it was literally singular and it was only Yahweh as in one person? Why would Moses write it that way? Uh, because it's emphasizing the fact of the location from which the activity is occurring. Because throughout the context there, God is a bunch of different places. He's, you know, going up, he's going down, he's doing different things. Um, but it's emphasizing um, the fact that it is coming from heaven, and Yahweh is the one that's doing it, just to make it clear. Just how I pointed out the so other was, example. So was Yahweh on Kings. earth at this time, or was he in heaven at the time when this took place? Where was Yahweh at? Yahweh was in heaven, I believe. So who was the one on earth? They were messengers. So when it says I think, Yahweh. I think the text calls them angels. Well, here it says Yahweh. Yeah, he did it. Yeah. So here it doesn't say angel. It doesn't say angels. It says Yahweh rain fire and brimstone from the Lord out of heaven. So, again, we disagree. But would you at least understand where I'm coming from that it does seem to indicate from the text that there are two at least referenced here? There are two occurrences of Yahweh, but I'd like to know, and I can't ask a question, Um I'll give you what the those two Yahweh's are. Um, I, I guess I, you have yet to tell me what you think the text is saying. Who is Yahweh there? And, and, well, is, I believe is, in the, the context. Is the definition here, changing in the middle of a sentence? Well, see, here in the context, we don't have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We agree with that. Um, but all my point and the point of the debate is, is, is God in the Old Testament, does the Old Testament teach Unitarianism exclusively, right? These references that I've been presenting the whole time are trying to point that, no, that's not exclusively accurate. There are references that God has been shown to be more than one in personage. That's my whole point. Just like how we have one church or one body of Christ, yet there are many members. So it's understanding how that word one can be used. I have one minute to go here. Let me give you one more kahuna of a question because these are some of the big ones. Isaiah 48. The one that you talked about a moment ago that I briefly talked about. I'm going to try and share this quickly. I actually think this points to Jesus Christ in the New Testament, 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 4, Galatians 4, 4, and others. So, But if we didn't have the New Testament, this would be quite confusing. Let me just say this quickly, and then I'll ask you my question. Isaiah 48, 12. People want to say this is supposed to be the prophet speaking, but... Listen to the wording, and then I'll ask you a question. Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel, I called. I am he, I am the first, and I'm also the last. That cannot be the prophet. Surely my hand founded the earth, my right hand spread out the heavens. When I call to them, they stand together. So we see the one speaking here is claiming some kind of divinity or something to do with deity. Speaking and going forth ahead, to sake of time, I have to do this. Verse 16. I believe still the same speaker, because listen to the context. Come near to me, listen to this. From the first, I have not spoken in secret. From that time it took place, I was there. That can't be the prophet. So let me ask you this question. This person speaking, a person that's speaking, hey, Kelly. Says, and now hey, Kelly, the that's Lord time right there. me in his spirit. Am that's time, time right there. Yep, that's time right there. All right, we just finished listening to the second and final round of cross-examination in the 
debate, this is where we would turn and begin our closing arguments that are five minutes long. But I wanted to take some time right now and to go through the questions that I asked, look at the answers that were given to me, and assess the strength of the answers that Mr. Powers gave to me in order that we can look at the strength of his argument as a whole. So this is a reaction type podcast episode. So let's look at the questions that I gave. So I start off by asking in regard to Psalm 110 verse 1. The psalm which says that Yahweh said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. I asked him the question, who is Yahweh in this passage? Is it a reference to the triune God or is it a reference to the Father? this is a very interesting question because Psalm 110.1 is the most cited passage from the Old Testament in the New. And I was hoping that he would acknowledge that the second Lord in Psalm 110.1 is a reference to Jesus and thereby Jesus would be distinguished from the one who is called Yahweh. Thereby concluding that Jesus is not Yahweh and Yahweh is not a reference to to someone who is more than one person. Now the answer that he gave was a little interesting because he actually sidesteps the question and as I go back and I listen very carefully to what he says, he never actually answers the question that I asked him. I think this is very interesting. I think that by answering this it would reveal a major deficiency with his position. He does acknowledge that the second Lord refers to Jesus, but he won't openly answer the question as to whether Yahweh in this passage is a reference to the Father or a reference to the triune God. I think it's a pretty obvious answer. But he goes on and spends a lot of his time in his answer by reading a little bit more into Psalm 110 and He will refer to the Lord with singular pronouns as he reads through this, so that seems to indicate that God is a singular person. But he makes a very interesting turn at this point. He actually turns around and he begins to ask me a question, which I firmly remind him that this is not something that he is allowed to do during my time. He's not allowed to ask me questions when it is my turn that is clocked to cross-examine him. He has now turned to ask me questions during my cross-examination time on multiple occurrences. Now, having heard that the second Lord refers to Jesus by his own admission, I then conclude that the first Lord, Yahweh, must refer to the Father. And I ask him this, and eventually he does agree. So I move to my next question, which is that, what is it saying if the second Lord, in Psalm 101, which is the Hebrew noun Adoni, is never a word referring to God in all of Adoni's 195 occurrences in the Old Testament. Doesn't this indicate that the person at Yahweh's right hand is not God? Mr. Powers responded and said, no, because we can look at other scriptures that indicate that Jesus is God. So he doesn't actually address Psalm 101, He again sidesteps the evidence, ignores the question that I'm asking, as I try to bring to him a particular verse, the lexical data, the original Hebrew, and the meaning 
of what this Hebrew word indicates. So again, I'm seeing him sidestep a lot of my questions and not give me a firm answer. The next question I ask him is that I really want to pin him down by ignoring my particular question, and I kindly ask him to just please focus on Psalm 110, verse 1. Not go around and talk about other passages or other instances. He finally breaks down and he says that he has no problem with Psalm 110, 1, but he wants to say that there are other passages in the entire Bible. Psalm 110, 1 is not the entire Bible. He does admit here, though, that he cannot give a definitive answer to prove the doctrine of the Trinity from Psalm 110, verse 1. Well, of course he can't. I understand that. But it's very interesting to see that Psalm 110, 1, which again is the most cited passage from the Old Testament by the New Testament writers to determine which of these lords is Jesus and the fact that Jesus is this exalted Lord at the right hand of Yahweh, and Yahweh, of course, is described with singular pronouns. So the most cited passage referring to Jesus from the Old Testament is a passage that distinguishes Jesus from Yahweh, and, of course, describes Yahweh with singular pronouns. Now, I really want to pin him down on this Psalm 110.1, so I ask him another question, a clarifying question. I asked, are you okay with Psalm 110 verse 1 referring to the second Lord as someone who is not God? He responds by saying that if that is true, he is not really bothered or phased by that particular fact. And I think this is kind of odd because you would think that a passage that admittedly refers to Jesus in the New Testament, portrays him as someone who is not God, and also distinguishes Jesus from Yahweh, while at the same time describing Yahweh as a single person, would actually hurt his argument that God is supposedly a plurality of persons. He's not bothered by the fact, even though the passage is a pretty strong indicator, that the New Testament writers did not think that Jesus was Yahweh. My next question. I really try to find if Mr. Powers thinks that there is any word in the Old Testament that is a reference to God that means the triune God. So I ask him, because he's already admitted to me that Yahweh is not a reference to the triune God, I asked him about another word, the Hebrew noun El. Does El refer to the triune God? And he gives a nice blanket statement here in his response. He says that there are not any words that refer to the Trinity as a whole in the Old Testament. That's very, very revealing. I think it's true. It is true. We actually agree on this particular point. But he's acknowledging that none of the references to God in the Old Testament refer to the Trinity or the triune God. And yet I'm trying to argue that the God of the Old Testament is Unitarian, is a single person. But he admits that God is never described as a trinity in the Old Testament. Okay, I'm not really sure if he thinks that he has a strong argument here with that sort of admission. Now I come back and I say that it's really important that we have an agreement, at least on the meaning of words, because different Trinitarians will actually disagree on the meaning of these words. I know because some Trinitarians will say that Yahweh 
for example, is a reference to the triune God, and other Trinitarians will say, no, Yahweh is simply a reference to the Father. And so this is why I wanted to hear from Mr. Powers how he defined these particular words and where he was getting his definitions from. That's why I've repeatedly talked about the Hebrew lexicons. And he actually agreed with me pretty heartily. He agrees that Trinitarians actually do disagree on the definitions of words within the Old Testament. And I don't think this really serves his biblical case very well to suggest that the Trinity is something that's very difficult to find in the Old Testament. Even the defenders of the Trinity disagree on fundamental definitions of God in the Old Testament. By the way, if you look at the lexicons and you look at how the lexicons define Yahweh and El and Eloah and Elohim and Adonai, these various references for God, none of them describe these various references for God as a triune God or a single God consisting of three distinct persons. The lexical data is pretty clear on that matter, and there's a consensus on the way that these words should be defined by the grammarians and the lexicons. Okay, so he's admitted to me that Yahweh is not a reference to the triune God. El is not a reference to the triune God. He hasn't tried to make some sort of argument that Elohim, which is a plural reference in some occurrences, is actually a reference to the triune God. What about Adonai? So that's my next question. Is Adonai a reference to the triune God? He says, same thing, meaning, just as his previous answer has indicated, there aren't any references to God in the Old Testament that refer to the triune God. Now, I wanted to go to a particular passage that talked about Adonai, because he just acknowledged to me that Adonai is not a reference to God in his plurality, it's definitely not a reference to the triune God. So we looked at 2 Samuel 7.22, which is a reference that says that Adonai Yahweh, there is none like you. You, Adonai Yahweh, there is none like you. And so I asked him, to whom does Adonai refer? And why is it that there is no one like him? Now, he tells me in his response that in reading the Old Testament, nowhere do we get this defined terminology in regard to the Trinity, which is good. I agree. But he's just openly admitting this to me, not being aware, I think, of how damaging this is to his own argument. He does say that we learn more about the Trinity, supposedly, in the New Testament, but it's just not there in the Old Testament. Now, in unpacking his answer a little bit more, he then goes on to ask me if the one God has been revealed as a unity. And of course, I have to remind him carefully but firmly that he cannot ask me questions during my cross-examination time. This is now the third offense that he has made in this particular category. It's a little frustrating, but I tried to not look very bothered, but i point out to him that he does this multiple times, which interrupts the rules that we have agreed to. He goes on to say that there are other scriptures 
outside of 2 Samuel 7.22 that really need to be considered. And in doing so, he again fails to answer my question. He again sidestep my question and the specific question that I ask about it. So I try not to let him get away with this. I say in my next question that to whom does this passage refer? Who is the reference to Adonai Yahweh? He responds by saying, it doesn't say. So, well, it's true that Adonai Yahweh is not defined there, but I'm pretty sure that David, the speaker in 2 Samuel 7, is someone who knows who Yahweh is. But he responds to me, Mr. Powers, by saying that the passage doesn't say. So I respond, okay, well, well what do you think? What do you think about this particular passage? And then he says, I don't know. And I'm thinking to myself, you don't know who is Adonai? You really don't know or you don't want to admit that Adonai here, who is described as a singular person, is also described that there is no one like you, is really the father alone, and thereby is very damaging to a supposed argument that suggests that God is three persons that are co-equal, co-eternal, and co-essential. How is it that Adonai can be referred to as a singular person and there's no one like you if, in fact, God is three persons and they're co-equal, they're co-eternal, meaning that there are at least two others that are like you. So, as he tried to sidestep my arguments on Psalm 101 and 2 Samuel 7.22, he doesn't answer it, but the fact that he doesn't answer these questions indicates that he just doesn't really want to deal with the plain, straightforward passages that indicate repeatedly that God is a single person, Jesus distinguished from this God, and this God is described with singular pronouns. So I wanted to be able to get in all three of the biblical languages within our debate. We've already talked a lot about the Hebrew. We've spent some time talking about Greek in the Septuagint of Deuteronomy 6.4, but I wanted to look at the Aramaic as well. Daniel chapter 7 is written in Aramaic. And so I ask him with the time that I have left over about Daniel 7.13. Daniel 7.13 is a passage that is quoted and very strongly alluded to many times in the New Testament because it describes the Son of Man, the one who is described as one who is distinguished from the Ancient of Days. Daniel 7.13 describes God as the Ancient of Days. And so I ask him, is the Son of Man, in Daniel 7.13, a reference to Jesus? And why is he distinguished from the Ancient One of Days? Because the Aramaic adjective, antique, is a reference to the Ancient One, one person who is ancient. So what I've got here is another passage that describes God as a single person, and it describes someone else distinguished from that one God, which seems to be a reference to Jesus. Now he responds, and he does think that the Ancient One refers to the Father, and the Son of Man refers to Jesus the Son. I, that's great. We agree. That's fine. And 
I, of course, acknowledge that the Son of Man is distinguished from God, who is portrayed as the Ancient One, the Ancient One of Days. This is an implication that I'm hoping that the audience is going to pick up on as the time runs out for my particular time to cross-examine him. So I've noticed that in the three passages that I gave as just kind of an observation and a reaction, that Mr. Powers doesn't seem to understand that these prominent, basic, straightforward passages seem to indicate that God is a single person, God is not described as a triune person, and the passages that are used to describe Jesus by citing them or alluding to them in the New Testament distinguish Jesus from the one God, namely that one God that is described with singular references, singular pronouns. So I think that he has admitted enough in his responses to my question to really damage his case in a way that is irreparable. And I think by doing so, I'm also strengthening my own case. Of course, it's not for me to decide whether I have won the debate. That is up to the audience. It's up to the listeners to decide for themselves. But those are my reactions to the second round of cross-examination questions to Mr. Powers. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please join us next week as we celebrate our 200th episode. We're going to be listening to the closing statements of my debate, Does the Old Testament Teach Unitarianism? I will offer my insider perspective on why I formulated my own closing statement as I did. We will hear reactions from my very first guest ever to be on the BU podcast. And we will celebrate nearly four years of biblical Unitarian content on the interwebs. So please look forward to our next episode. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us as we promote the important non-negotiable truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. If you'd like to offer a donation, you may check out the episode's description for a link to PayPal. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I am your host, Dustin Smith. Until next time, please take care.